Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, April 2nd, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 3, The Power Broker. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, uh, guys, we haven't really had much in terms of feedback in the last two episodes, but we, we have a bunch of emails here. Uh, I'll, we'll try to get through them pretty quickly and then get into the actual episode. Um, Elliot from Tampa wrote in, uh, based on the fight on top of the trucks, it really doesn't seem like Walker slash Battlestar have any special abilities. Consider that after the ass kicking and maybe even future ones from the flag smashers, they reach out to the power broker or vice versa and get access to the serum. So, so he, Elliot is under the belief that they are not, uh, they do not have super strength. Jacob, I don't think you have weighed in on this. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't on the episode last week, but I'm absolutely sure they do not have superpowers. They're just soldiers, and them getting their butts kicked there was meant to prove a point that will hopefully pay off in the near future. Hmm, interesting. Do you, do you think they're going to work with the power broker? Well, I guess the power broker we learned this week does not have the super serum. So I don't think they can work with the power broker, right? I think someone named power broker probably has the power to get that serum. So we'll see how these threads start to start to tangle together because right now we have like four or five parallel storylines and we're halfway through the series. So they're going to start crisscrossing soon enough, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, Aaron and Brent in Chicago, Illinois wrote in and uh, they corrected me. I was, I was totally wrong in this one, guys. Uh, even though, uh, Sarah Haynes, who was in the 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 first or second episode, I, I said that even though she, uh, I said that she was from the uh, the View and not Good Morning America. She actually has the long history with Good Morning America, so I was completely wrong. I I think I did a quick IMDb and didn't see Good Morning America on her IMDb, but I I must have missed it. So so Sarah Haynes, uh, as uh, Aaron and Brent point out. She left Good Morning America in July of 2018 
Um, and uh, this was filmed in 2019, so she was technically part of Good Morning America as part of GMA3 at the time. So, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I th- thought, thought I'd put that out there because I... I basically was like, why, why are they using her when they could have actually used the host from Good Morning America? So there you go. Uh, Mike from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, writes in and says, Sebastian Stan originally wanted to play Captain America in the MCU. That casting history obviously come came to my mind when Steve gave the shield to Sam rather than Bucky in Endgame. But they seem to have almost doubled down and weaved this into the fabric of the character at this point that the shield is always just out of reach for him. I swear you can see a bit of the real pain behind Sebastian Stan's eyes every time yet another person lands the role of Captain America over him. I'm really curious if this is something that is in the creator's minds and wonder if you guys have any opinions or insights on this. What do you think, uh, Jacob? Um, I mean, it's definitely written to the character of Bucky, Bucky, who is always going to live in a sea of shadow. And if Stan has those actual feelings, I mean, of course, he's going to tap into them. I mean, I personally didn't take notice of that. I mean, I think every single person of that age auditioned for Captain America yeah. back in the day. Sebastian Stan, even, uh, even you know, Wyatt Russell, uh, who plays John Walker, auditioned, you know, 10 years ago. So <laughs> my, my guess is that a lot of actors can tap into very similar feelings about not being able to be as charismatic or as easy to like or as effortlessly good as Chris Evans. Yeah. Uh, Carol from Spain writes in, uh, you've been talking about how the show seems to be about the Falcon rising up to the task of becoming Captain America and Bucky overcoming his thus far identity of the Winter Soldier. Made me think about how WandaVision is essentially about Wanda becoming a Scarlet Witch and Vision maybe becoming White White Vision. Uh the shows are about characters becoming someone else by the end of it. You know, it's a it's a character arc more so than we get to see in some of these movies. My question is, what do you think this means for Loki? Brad, what, what do you think? Will Loki become a very different character by the end of that show? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I feel like even though Loki has been, you know, uh, mischievous and villainous throughout his tenure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I do feel like that he... He did have a, an arc, albeit one that kind of unfurled in a, a bit of a slower fashion, because uh, as much as he, you know, fought with Thor and was constantly, you know, um, adverse to what he was trying to accomplish and creating problems for him, he still couldn't help but still have, you know, some love for his brother. And so there's there's more than just, you know, a villain uh, inside Loki. And so um, I'm not necessarily sure what his character arc will be, but I... I'm sure that there will be something that uh, will change him by the end of that first season. Loki's a tough character because I feel like he's already made that arc, right? Like he's already made the arc from the bad guy to the good guy. And now he's back to the bad guy again. Like Jacob, do the comics provide any hints of like where that show might be heading for, for him as a character? I mean, over the past decade or so, Loki really has evolved in an anti-hero type, uh, more so than, you know, straight villain he was for many decades in Marvel Universe. So I do think the, the trajectory here is anti-hero, but I will say my genuine hope is that Loki's transformation is from villain to villain who occasionally does the right thing. I don't need a heroic Loki, Peter. I want a Loki who's going to mess things up constantly for everyone. Yeah, yeah I agree there. Um, I, I got to say, one of the coolest moments ever in, in my life was being in comic-con in in hall h brad you were there right 
Yeah, yeah, that that was a very cool moment when Tom Hiddleston came out in full costume and like taunted the audience as Loki. It was amazing, and uh, there's videos online of that, but I don't feel like it captures the. I mean, it does, but it was just so magical being in that room and being in the presence of you know not Tom Hiddleston. We were in the presence of Loki in that moment. I think Hiddleston's the only Marvel actor who, in 30 years, will show up at Disneyland, dress as Loki, and like make appearances for sandwiches. I think he just likes doing it. <laughs> um, okay, we have uh, I think one last email here. This one's a little bit of a long one. Ryan writes in. Uh, I'm under the belief that Marvel Universe has a problem with Feige, which Feige is actively trying to solve, and for which I have no doubt he he will succeed. First, let me outline the problem. While we began the MCU with origin stories, it has progressed in a way that allowed them to retroactively add Marvel lore. And by that, I mean the audience can reasonably understand that there are reasons why select superheroes don't appear to face every thread and why some continue to remain hidden. For example, we know that properties such as Black Panther slash Wakanda, uh, the Ancient One, Three Sanctums, uh, Captain Marvel have existed for a while despite not being introduced until Phase 3. All of these reasonably can be explained why they didn't appear until they did. Uh, however, I think Marvel has lost their ability after Endgame. Thanos being the ultimate threat would have required anyone remaining in hiding to expose themselves. Or if the events of Infinity War hadn't, surely the aftermath of the snap and the next five years of recovery would have. You wouldn't use time or you can't use time or proximity as an excuse to why a character civilization or society wouldn't have somehow contributed to the Avengers efforts and or rebuilding process. And I refuse to believe that Marvel can use Wakanda card again, i.e. the secret society waiting and wanting to remain hidden to benefit themselves. So the question I keep coming back to is how is Marvel going to weave the future properties without them becoming just like new heroes? I know others have said it, but it's not like audience could would be expected to believe that Charles Xavier has been alive for the past 50 years collecting mutants. So I wanted to ask you guys, I, I feel like the obvious answer here is multiverse, right? That we're going to get characters that have existed in other universes and they're going to come into whatever you want to call this Marvel Cinematic Universe, the 616 or whatever. Uh, what do you guys think? I'll jump into this awkward silence. Um, <laughs> I, I think the multiverse issue is one that could solve this because Clearly, there's a lot of multiverse stuff being set up in the years ahead across multiple movies. And I would not be surprised if one movie ends with some universes overlapping and collapsing into each other and becoming one. And oops, now we have mutants. And that's all the excuse you need, honestly. Because you're right, I, I don't see how mutants or the Fantastic Four groups who you know were foundational beginning members of the Marvel Universe in the comics, how they, how they sit out all of this stuff. I mean, it's the... It would be the ultimate Nikki and Paolo from Lost insult of being like, oh, mutants, they were here the whole time. It's like, where were you? Where were yeah. you when things were happening? So, yeah, I, I think your answer is the only one that makes sense, Peter, at least from from, from this point looking in. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I almost want to say there's just probably beings and civilizations so far out there in the galaxy that wouldn't have come to Earth. But this blip did affect everybody, everybody in the galaxy, right? So or everybody existing in this entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you think, well, maybe they don't care about Earth. So there, there, there's that, too. There could be, be 
you know, alien civilizations and stuff so far out there, like that they didn't feel the need to come to Earth. They have their own problems. Everybody's working like, you know, it's not just Earth that lost half the people, you know, that they're dealing with their own issues at that point of recovery. Yeah, I will say I'm very curious about how they fit the Eternals into this because those characters are established on Earth for thousands of years. Yeah. So where were they during Thanos? No, no. Mm. I, I'm torn between caring very much about this and also not caring at all. <laughs> I, you know, I don't care about this until they don't explain it. If they explain it, and it can be explained away in like a sentence, right? Like I, I, I really think that the people at Marvel are so good that they can easily explain away almost anything so as long as they explain it somehow i'm happy but i don't think it's worth worrying about until that time right brad what are your thoughts on this i think that there may be another way to introduce characters like that without necessarily fitting like their origin stories into like marvel's past especially since we just saw in wandavision that um you know uh monica rambeau got her um powers from you know the hex essentially from in wandavision and so depending on what the events of doctor strange and the multiverse of madness entail and whether scarlet witch's uh powers continue to grow and perhaps you know wreak some sort of havoc that we could see mutants created in in that way um maybe even impacting you know characters like fantastic four as well and so i i think there's a way to make that happen but i I think that the issue you run into is that especially with the x-men is you do lose a little bit of the um significance of their character struggle you know when you don't have characters like magneto um coming from the era of world war ii um and and dealing with the you know overcoming those those obstacles and the the metaphors and you know allegory there is that ties to you know uh, um auschwitz and those kinds of things and the persecution that mutants face uh yeah the history of the persecution i think is yeah exactly exactly and so i think that there's probably there's still you know unfortunately still enough you know persecution in modern day that they may maybe still have a way to you know to link it to more recent events than world war ii um but but yeah i think i think that's one of the biggest things that they have to figure out but i like you said I, i think that marvel can come up with a way to do that and I also think that there's ways of getting around even, like, you mentioned Fantastic Four. They could have been sent to space right before, you know, the dusting, the snap. And, you know, maybe they couldn't get back home. You know, maybe they were stuck out there when the whole events that uh, led up to them getting superpowers. So there's there's ways. There's I, I just, like I said, I just want Marvel to give us reasonings and not just, like, feel like, oh, we're not going to explain it. But I, they, they, they usually don't do that, so I don't, don't expect that from them. So, um, but Okay, let's move on to this episode in itself. Let's talk about our brief thoughts. This episode is titled The Power Broker. It's the longest episode yet with 53 minutes, so it's a little a few more minutes than the, the last two. And I, I, I really feel like this, is, this show is picking up speed. Things are finally uh, coming together. We're, we're kind of figuring out where we're headed with the show you said you know we're halfway through um and uh, i like that they're building out this universe a little with the introduction of madripoor like that's such an interesting uh, world to introduce into the marvel cinematic universe 
and uh, a lot of John Wick vibes going in this episode. And uh, who who would have thought that they were going to have such a uh, the the first two episodes have ended with like the appearance of someone unexpected, you know, to to be the cliffhanger. And you know what? I had no idea that this was going to be the cliffhanger for this episode. It was kind of a interesting uh, twist on things. Uh, Jacob, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is probably the best episode yet. Uh, I've been enjoying the show so far, but it's definitely been taking its time. It has that six-hour movie syndrome that the filmmakers have, or showrunner and director have, said is intentional. And it's not always my preferred way of watching TV. I definitely prefer more self-contained stories that branch into each other as opposed to episodes just kind of end. And then you pick off where you left off the next time. But enough happens in episode three that I was... Uh, more pleased with this than I was the last week, which, which felt like a lot of wheel spinning. And yeah, there's just a lot of events. <laughs> Things are constantly happening. We're meeting new people. Uh, there's a lot of ground covered here. Uh, so much so that it made me kind of wish some of these wheels had gotten, start, start being a little bit faster. Like we met Zemo earlier because I really enjoy the, the Zemo as the Joe Pesci of the Lethal Weapon duo. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the guy who's there to mess up the, the buddy cop dynamic. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a Falcon Soldier is increasingly a fine show. I like watching it. I know we ran my interview with the showrunner back in episode one, and I'm waiting for the episode to really dig into that. It's doing a lot of hand-waving at the stuff he talked about, uh, and episode three seems to really sideline, you know, with stuff that's really interesting. Uh, but well, as a, well, it's as interesting. A, you also had this conversation with Wyatt Russell this week, um, and he seemed to kind of brush off a lot of the stuff that the, the showrunner was saying was part of this, this show. Yeah, this is a it was a weird moment. It doesn't read it reads better in print than it did in the audio, which is why I don't <laughs> want to remember on the interview. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I will say that I asked him about the the racial politics of the show because Michael Spellman was so open about it, and he's like, and White Russell either because he didn't want to talk about it or he didn't notice it or he's under orders not to talk about it, really did brush it off. So I'm really really curious about how the show will hope to get back to addressing that. But as an action show, as a show where actions we like do action things, episode three is extremely entertaining for what it is. Yeah. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, um, I, I like this episode just because of how good the action was um, and how it's becoming a lot more fast-paced and digging into things. Uh, love having Daniel Brule back as Zemo. Um, but it, it does feel like it veered more away from the stuff that I was most satisfied and interested in in the first two episodes, which is you know digging into these two characters um, you know, with Bucky's trauma and how Falcon has to deal with being, you know, a black superhero in a country that has frequently disenfranchised uh, black people. And um, especially seeing just how mad he is about Isaiah Bradley and his treatment, you know, as a super soldier. Um, I'm hoping that they dig back into that as, you know, the story unfolds and we learn more about that program and uh, what the plans of the, the flag smashers are uh, and everything like that. But, um, you know, when you have... Uh, Derek Colstead involved in a, an episode like this, uh, you're going to be pretty pleased with the action. And I walked away being, you know, very satisfied with how that unfolded and the little, you know, uh, as, as Jacob referred to in our Slack, John Wick Island that we get to visit. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the name there. Do you want to give the audience uh, some background? Oh, Derek Colstead? Yeah. Well, of course, if you are a John Wick fan, then you should 
uh, already know who Derek Holstead is because he is uh, one of the key people involved with that uh, franchise. He's um, the writer of uh, all three of the first movies and also the producer. Unfortunately, he won't be involved in the upcoming fourth and fifth installments uh, of the franchise. But uh, yeah, he's a key part in uh, as being the architect of that world. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into our breakdown. Uh, this, you know, last week I complained, uh, me, me and Ben both complained that they were telling us too much about this, um, about this GRC group and they weren't showing us. And well, <laughs> this episode went, uh, starts off in the complete opposite direction with the commercial for the global reparation council. And their tagline is reset, restore, um, and I felt like, uh, <laughs> I felt, I don't know. I, I, I felt like this time it was a little too obvious. And on the, like, I, I don't know. I, the commercial, it, it almost seemed weird because the commercials worked for WandaVision because they were trying to do that sitcom thing. I wanted to hear what you guys think. Well, what do you think of this commercial and opening the show with this commercial? It's cheesy enough to feel like it's something that would actually exist. Which yeah. is fine. I mean, like you said, they, they, they're trying to make it very, very clear what this group is. And it makes you wonder what kind of turnaround we're going to have with them. Because so far, they seem like a very inefficient bureaucracy. <laughs> and, and, you know, they have the, the and they have very much the advertising of an inefficient bureaucracy. But I'm definitely waiting for the shoe to drop with them in some capacity beyond just being a catalyst for all these other villainous groups to circle around them. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like when a big corporation has a commercial that tries to create a vibe rather than say anything about what it is they actually do. And so even, <laughs> even this commercial, like it's, it's this whole thing about create, um, telling people, here's what we're doing. We're trying to help people. It feels like a bank commercial more than anything. But I think, I think what I like that it does here um, in this episode is it opens it up with, you know, with this very soothing kind of reassuring tone and how it's all about, you know, uh, restoring, uh, resetting, rebuilding. And then we cut immediately to John Walker as the new captain America, who's basically acting like, the like the military arm of this organization and like trying to stop people from smuggling goods and taking them to people who actually need them and so it creates this interesting dichotomy between what that organization is supposed to stand for and what they're really doing behind the scenes brad in these unprecedented times they need to help people through this crisis that's true you're, you're right <laughs> i know yeah, this, just... this, this is made before the pandemic or written for the pandemic but there's, there's a real pandemic commercial vibe <laughs> to this of in these unprecedented times, everything's falling apart, but don't worry. We, we still have these great things. These still offer our services. <laughs> as I, it's, un, it, it's unintentional or at least accidental, but that's what struck me. Is it uh, being a uh, definitely the kind of uh, fake optimism you see during pandemic commercials? <laughs> and I guess it, well, we can't you know relate to a blip, but the pandemic's close enough, right? Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, so you mentioned John Walker. He showed up at that Munich hideout that we saw last week of the flag. Sma- uh, they let them, uh, the flag smashers, stay there, and he's he's tr- alongside the police or in the military, trying to to find out where they are. And he's coming up empty-handed, and he you know he threatens and he pulls one of. Uh... <laughs> Everybody loves it when a dickhead says, "Do you know who I am?" Gosh, and, uh, this, and, and this is just another instance, too, of where, like, they're really, like, giving him these moments that make you just see how much of a douchebag he is, because that's such an asshole thing to say. I love whenever any asshole in a movie or show says that. Uh, I will say, I do appreciate it. It's, it. He's definitely being framed as being a douchebag, but not a villain yet. I'm very curious to see, to see that trajectory, because 
he definitely has those uh, American male rage issues that uh, Chris Evans didn't have. That's why I think we, we love Steve so much that he was the epitome of what we could be. Whereas Captain America is such a loaded symbol and one that uh, means a different thing, you know, now that did in World War II. And Steve was always fighting that and aware of that. And John Walker seems incredibly unaware of the, the image he's fulfilling by being this kind of guy in that costume. And that to me is the most interesting part of this episode beyond, you know, it's good action is that and it's also the smallest part, which is, I hope they really lean in that. The idea that this, um, the American flag means very different things in different borders. Yeah. And it's the difference between Steve Rogers being a hero and John Walker playing a hero and pretending to be one. And I think that, um, I, I, I don't remember if we mentioned this or not, but I don't, I don't think that I, we talked about this, but there's a thing when, um, Walker is asked, he's like, have you, uh, I think it's by Bucky. He's like, have you, have you ever, you know, jumped on a grenade or something like that? And he's like, he's like, yeah, but he says, he's like, I have a helmet, you know? And so like, and he's able to jump on it. And he, so he has, he's not risking anything by doing that, you know? So he's, he's pretending to be this hero where Steve Rogers is the guy who actually risks his life to save somebody. Yeah, good point. Um, okay. So Sam and Bucky break Zemo out of jail, which Sam initially isn't on board for. And, uh, but before he can get on board, Zemo just shows up. Uh, I oh, actually, we're, we're skipping by some stuff in, in jail. Zemo is reading a book, uh, by, uh, what's his name? Machiavelli. Machiavelli. This made me roll my eyes so hard, Peter. Yeah, it, I was going to say, is that yeah. a little too on the nose, Jacob? It's, 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 it's like, it's like Thanos reading Mein Kampf. It is that obvious and bad. It's a really poor choice. I mean, he, if, if it had been on his nightstand, we had seen it and, Maybe uh, Bucky hadn't. That's fine. But those who don't know, Machiavelli essentially wrote about manipulation and controlling other people and all the things that we know Baron Zemo already does. So it's yeah, it, it is a really tone deaf decision. I'm, I I just roll my eyes very hard, and we actually said the word out loud. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I will say, yeah, I was very impressed by the action of this episode. But if I have one complaint, it is we have a prison break in this episode and it's done in such a stock boring, like T like a, a, this could have been an agents of shield prison break sequence. It, they have the Marvel budget and like those animatics and they could have done something cool with it. And it just was just so boring. Yeah. Why, why is Zemo in a very normal looking jail when he's a supervillain who we learn has a massive pile of cash and his own supervillain costume locked away, which looks great, by the way. We'll get to that soon enough. But it really, really bugs me that he's not in, like, super shield jail or, like, super uh, uh, sword jail, whatever they have at this point after the blip. It It's ridiculous to me that he got out of this easily. It's, I don't, I'm, I'm torn because probably like, yeah, let's get the story. Let's get him out. Let's get him with the group. Let's get this going. No need to dawdle, but also, yes, it is very ridiculous that Baron Zemo literally waltzes out of jail dressed as a cop. Yeah. And uh, they board the Baron's private plane, which, so I guess they're, in the comic books, he comes from royalty, or he's rich. Oh, yeah, he's a super, super wealthy European, like, nobility, and hilariously uh, his original origin involved his mask being glued to his face and he couldn't take it off which is hilarious but um they, <laughs> but but yeah they they really downplayed or removed uh his super noble super rich you know royal heritage from civil war it made him seem like some guy uh and i'm really glad they brought this back because zemo's whole thing is super wealthy european elite and i'm glad that's back 
Yeah, it's also interesting that he's been in jail for all these years, but he's he's still rich. Just just like any rich person that goes to jail. And his assets you know? haven't been frozen. Like he's still yeah. able to get a private plane with his his friendly butler and everything. Well, it's probably under someone else's name. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just or how it or, works. or he's just rich and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, or that, or yeah. Uh, I should also mention in the comics. You mentioned how his mask is used to his face. In the comics, he also has. If you ever look up <laughs> his old school outfit, he's like purple and he has like these fur patterns that go over his shoulders of his costume, which looks super ridiculous. But it's funny in this episode, he's wearing this coat. It has the fur over the shoulders, which I, I think is a nod to that old. Oh, absolutely! Costume. This is how he dresses more often these days in the comics. Yeah. They they've toned down his costume to be more traditional long fur coat, uh, and I really like the ridiculous little costume. I think this is a nice meeting halfway point. Is I really I like Civil War, but I, I think it really renders Zemo pretty vanilla compared to his comic counterpart. And this show is at least trying to meet halfway with Zemo, who. Used to be on Captain America's biggest villains back in the comics. Speaking yeah. of which, I feel like Daniel Bruhl is is hamming it up a little bit more than he did <laughs> in Civil War because I, when listening to him talk, I didn't remember him trying to like seemingly almost like whisper, every, you know, every single line that he had in a menacing sort of way. And I went back and watched a couple scenes from Civil War, and he's definitely not doing the you know, talking like this with a voice uh, as much as he is here, which is fun. Um, but it's like, eh, you, you don't have to do that all the time. <laughs> I, I like it. I don't know. I like the hammed up Zemo. Same here. I, I am, <laughs> like I said, I, I want Zemo to be wild and crazy. Uh, but wild and crazy in terms of like, in terms of uh, affectations, not necessarily in terms of performance. I, I want Zemo with fur. I want Zemo with the mask. I want Zemo being, having a, an unlimited funds and a grudge. I, I I'm all for camping up the guy we saw in Civil War because the guy in Civil War is not my Zemo. Hashtag my Zemo. Restore his restore the Zemo verse. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. So Zemo steals and reads Buckeye's list of uh, Buck Buckeye's sorry Bucky's list of names, <laughs> and uh, uh, Bucky is not happy about it. Uh, Falcon actually confirms that the book that Bucky is writing his names in is not just a sad reflection of Steve's notebook, but it's actually Steve's notebook. Steve gave him his notebook, which I, I did not uh, pick up on earlier. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, so Zemo doesn't want the super soldier serum to exist because he believes it'll create superheroes who are put on pedestals, become symbols, and bad things can happen like the Red Skull. Or maybe... Do you buy that? <laughs> I feel like it's just he doesn't want people with greater power than him i mean it's fine i mean it's it, it continues his motivations from civil war where he is out to destroy any idea of super soldiers and they could they could recreate what destroyed his family i mean it's pretty standard stakes but i, I also I, I didn't have an issue with it yeah so they head to madripoor uh this is this has a long history in the comic books uh can you tell us about that jacob yeah madripoor is uh, it's, it was actually created uh, in the 1980s in, in the pages of New Mutants by Chris Claremont and artist uh, Steve Lehola. Sorry, I'm never say his name out loud. Lealoa. And it's essentially, uh, as described in the show, it's this sort of lawless Southeast Asian uh, island nation about 100 miles across. And just where anybody can go to get anything done. Criminals, rogues, antiheroes. Uh, there's a lot. Wolverine is there a lot in the comics. It was also recently visited in Matt Fraction's celebrated Hawkeye run. Uh, it's just like 
if you need a place to go where law does not apply, where it's crime everywhere, and it's all hierarchies of criminals doing all kinds of nasty stuff, uh, Majapur is where you go. And as Brad said on it, earlier, It's the most Eisley of the Marvel yeah. universe. Well, you want to like, go where nobody knows your name. Yeah, it, it, it is, it's John Wick Island. Because all, all the, the neon and the, the criminal affectations and the various regimes we see playing off each other, the fact that people are uh, immediately know you have a price in your head when you walk by their... Uh, by their shop uh very john wick vibes so very dork de- dork Derek kolstad vibes <laughs> here i i am all for um re- realizing majapur on screen as john wickland all the yeah. neon so much neon i i love the the red light district kind of feel of this and the neon lights of i guess you could say tokyo or singapore or wherever i don't know i, I just like the look of this place and i I'm excited that they're introducing this into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because this this definitely seems like a place that whenever you want to or need to, like in the comics, you could come here and it could be a fun, you know, aside uh, in the story. But um, uh, okay, so Sam, Bucky, and Zemo are in disguises. Sam is going under the disguise of Conrad Mack, who I I did my Google searching, and that is uh, a character from the the comic books. Uh, who is uh, aka the smiling tiger which <laughs> i've never heard of the smiling tiger before but um in the comics the character is a very it has a very small role he's like a villain i i doubt we'll see the real one show up in in the show or movies but at one point he stole the avengers quinjet and crashed into madripoor and uh he became a big criminal player there uh I do want to mention I saw someone on Twitter joking that the the new title for the show is The Smiling Tiger and the White Wolf. So I thought that was funny. Uh, they go to this bar called the Bronze Monkey, which is in Lowtown. And uh, that's all, you know, a place we've seen Logan in the comics. It's often used. Uh, Sam is forced to down The Smiling Tiger's favorite drink, which came, contains the fresh organs from a snake. And uh, the power broker is described as the king of this kingdom. He's not happy they are here. And Zemo, like, basically six Bucky on him. Or Bucky on uh, the power broker's goons. Like, old times. And Bucky takes them out in John Wick style. The whole thing feels very John Wick. It's it's very hard to get away from this without that feeling. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think this scene is actually uh, fun. It's a very... Yeah. I really enjoyed this scene. I enjoy all the Madripoor stuff in this episode. It has that very slick, sleazy, uh, Wikian vibe. But I'm not going to say, like, the action here is the level of a John Wick movie. Like, Chad Celeski can, you know, direct action like nobody's business. But on a TV budget, uh, this is very... On a TV budget, you know, with Marvel's PG-13 light violence, uh, I, I do think that Winter Soldier's action here is effective enough. Get the job done, get the blood pumping, even though... Um, I, I, I do wish that maybe the shots were a little wider and a little bit cleaner, but maybe is that asking too much on a TV budget, Peter, even Marvel TV budgets. I don't know. Uh, Brad, what did you think of the action here? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm, I'm right there with Jacob where it doesn't feel like it's quite on par with John Wick, but about the best that they can do because Marvel clearly has some money to throw around. But y- the other thing that you have to consider too is uh, shooting these kinds of sequences also take a lot of time. And I'm sure that they're trying to, you know, get these done in probably a, a faster 
uh, environment like TV usually is, as opposed to movies that are allowed to take a little bit more time. Yeah. And we should say that the fighting style in this is is reminiscent of what the Russo brothers were going with uh, on Winter Soldier and Civil War. And when I was on the set of Winter Soldier, they were heavily referencing in their interview The Raid which was like a you know big film at that time. And that was what they were, they're trying to kind of capture the hard hitting action of that. And I think John that's Wick was crazy also... talk. Sorry, Russo brothers, but that's crazy talk. What? I thought, I, I, I think the raid is the best, maybe the best action ever shot in any movie ever. And I don't buy that. They you don't think they were referencing it. I, I think maybe they thought they were, I, I think it's hilarious that they, that, that, that they could mention their action in the same sentence as that. But that's me being a snob. <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I think there is a hard-hitting action in, in that movie that, yeah, I guess it's not on the level of the raid. But anyways, I just want to say that I, I do think John Wick was also heavily influenced by the raid as well. So I th- I think they they come from the same origins in a way. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to make an excuse for why it's so John Wicky. But, uh, okay, so they earn an audience with Selby who in the comics is this mutant who is capable of communicating with any computer as he is fluent in their code in the, the show and uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Selby is a female, not a he, he's a she, and uh, seems to be more of a criminal information broker than a mutant with powers. Uh, interestingly, the actress that plays Selby here, Amelda Cochran, played a character named Dr. Goodman on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., on two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I think this is the furthest we've gotten where they're like, we we don't even, like, we're not even trying to care about the continuity at this point of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. even being part of it, right? Yeah, I, I don't see how you can look at this casting and also, and then say, uh, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. also counts, right? Then again, uh, I, I was literally just watching a Star Trek episode last night, Peter, that uses an actress who plays three separate characters across three different Star Trek shows. So, you know, continuity doesn't always matter when it comes to these big franchises. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, she also played Abigail Spencer in an episode of Lost, uh, the episode called Jughead. But honestly, she hasn't been in many things. And, uh, you know, judging by the end of the scene where she gets killed, we're not going to see her again. So uh, Selby says that the super serum is here. That the power broker had a doctor named Wilfred Nagel working on it. And uh, this is a character from the Truth Red, White, and Black comic book run. Um, and in that run, do you remember that character in that run, Jacob? It's been so long since I've read it. I vaguely remember there being a not a seedy doctor in it but yeah. i didn't i didn't put this together until preparing for the show i googled names and oh yeah it was that guy yeah I mean, like i i said this before but they're doing some real deep captain america reaches with this show like beyond uh my knowledge of of the captain america mythos so, like i'm continue i used to be like the guy who like smugged like who smugly smiled at marvel still like yeah i know who that is and now the guy's like oh shit i don't know who that is <laughs> well it doesn't seem to be the exact same person in the comics he's older and worked on the original captain america project and then he was hired by the army to run the super serum tests on the african-american soldiers uh so it seems like he's different here we'll get that in a few seconds um sam gets a phone call from sarah uh which blows his cover they kill selby 
and now have a huge problem as the bounty has been put on their heads, John Wick style. This is where I feel like it went a little too far with the John Wick comparison. What do you guys think? Look, I'm. If you're going to borrow from anything, borrow from the best, and John Wick is the best. I, I <laughs> Majapur is literally John Wick Island, and I, I say go for it. But Brad, what did you think? What did you think of of all the neon drenched assassins running at each other through streets here? Yeah, I mean, this, it's not as if this is the first time we've ever seen assassins in neon environments before. You know, it's but it's they not... instantly get the like the bounty on their phones, John Wick style. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's it's definitely close, and I'm I'm sure you know Derek Holstead know what he's doing, but you know, it's it's the kind of thing too when you're on an island full of assassins and you kill <laughs> one of the more, more powerful you know assassins or crime leaders on that island, you're probably going to have a lot of other people who want to kill you for money. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, just out of nowhere, as they're trying to make their escape, Sharon Carter shows up to save them. Seems kind of suspicious. Seems like she was in the right place at the right time. You know, this person that they knew, you know, showing up and and saving them. But uh, I mean, maybe it's just a Marvel thing. I, I think I really need to revisit Winter Soldier and Civil War because more and more in the show, they're introducing stuff that was from those movies. And I feel like I would be enjoying this more not that i'm not enjoying this but there there's some some references back there that i i think i'm maybe not completely connecting to um what do you guys think is uh why was sharon carter there i mean i actually really like the explanation for for this you know because she's she's rogue now she's in a similar situation kind of the in that um that Falcon is in a different way where Falcon was able to fall back on the idea that he was the superhero. He could kind of redeem himself um, for going rogue and becoming an enemy of the state by being on Captain America's side and going against the Sokovia Accords. But Sharon Carter, for everything she did to help them, she's just branded a criminal and she can't get back in the United States. And so she's hiding out in this place where there's other CD characters and she's carved out a little you know, place for her to survive in the meantime. And so um, I like the way they're bringing into it. And in a similar way as, as to how they're, you know, fleshing out Bucky and Sam's characters, I like what they do with her uh, here by giving her a bit more of an, an active role and some some depth as, yeah. you know, something that she wants and that she needs. And she brings them to her place in Hightown, which is part of the, the, the world there, uh, which is a very expensive high art gallery, I guess. It seems like She's made her own criminal enterprise of, are we led to believe that she like steals high value art and resells it on the black market? Is that what's going on? Yeah. The coolest kind of crime, Peter art theft. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sam offers to clear Sharon's name if in the U S if she helps them find the doctor, Sharon doesn't believe that's possible. And then Sam basically just points to Bucky. He's like, look over there who is somehow free. Uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, Sharon takes them to a shipping container containing the doctor. He explains that he was brought in by Hydra. When Hydra fell, he was recruited by the CIA. They had a blood sample from an American test subject that they had traces of the compound. He was able to isolate it and was going to create an optimized formula, which might explain why the, like I've noticed, you know, like the, uh, the flag smashers, they've, they've used this, this new serum, but they haven't like they're, they don't have like huge muscles. Like they're not obviously super soldiers. Um, so I think that's probably because he optimized the formula. Um, 
before he was able to complete his work, he was dusted. And when he came back, the program was gone. And the power broker funded him, creating 20 vials. But Carly stole them. And uh, there's no more. So I guess there's some questions here. Uh, he doesn't seem like he was old enough to be involved in the African-American experiments. So who is the blood sample from? No, no, I, th- I think the blood sample is still from him, but I bet you they still have those blood samples. And he... Oh, on file. Yeah. And also, he, was, uh, he said he was in prison for decades, so they clearly were able to do things to him while he was in prison, take advantage of the fact that they had a super soldier in chains. Yeah, he talked about being like experimented on and yeah. stuff like that. So we are all we all buy the that it is him. Yeah, they absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the power broker funded. Uh, yeah, I already said that. Uh, meanwhile, some people show up at the shipping yard, and Sharon is able to take them out with her badass fighting skills. Uh, she rushes in to tell them they're out of time. Just as Zemo uh, shoots and kills the doctor. I guess my big question here is: Who are all these thugs? Are these just the people that are were hired for the bounty? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or, they're they're assassins. They there's... There are assassins chasing a payday. I mean, okay. If I lived on Assassin Island, I too would camp out near the docks <laughs> for situations like this. Uh, you, you need to create a video game called Assassin Island. I'd play it. <laughs> uh, they narrowly escape the burning uh, lab, but without Nemo or Zemo. Sorry, not Nemo. Uh, <laughs> and they're met with a firefight outside, a barricade from every action movie, as Sam calls it. Uh, Zemo, now wearing his iconic mask, shows up and blows some shit up, allowing them to escape. Uh, Jacob sounded like he wanted to say something about his costume here. Yeah, I think this is an incredibly successful translation of Zemo's costume. I'm, I'm not sure I why he puts it on for three seconds just for an action scene, but it looks <laughs> really neat. I, I, I mean, the, the Marvel aesthetic, the MCU aesthetic of taking combat costumes and making them look more practical uh, on their on their translation to the screen. It follows that to the T, but I really like it. I think that once it's completely suited up, I think Daniel Brule looks great in the costume. I agree, but I, I was also curious, like, you know, why did he put on this costume for five seconds? Maybe it was like he didn't want the to be spotted by any of these these, these evil uh, uh, criminals in, on Assassin Island because he doesn't want word to be out that, like, he's there or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. It's just he's trying to look badass and blow stuff up, right? It just looks cool. I mean, yeah. I think this is the case where the show <laughs> wanted him to look cool for a shot, so they did it. I mean, yeah. that, and whether that's something that, that it just you're on board with or something that you can forgive, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that, too. Also because so often it's like, let's take Spider-Man's mask off. Let's take Black Panther's mask off. We're paying for these actors. Let's get their faces. And my whole thing is, no, no. Daniel Brule has a voice. Put him on the Zemo mask. Keep him Zemo mask. Then so that's my rule going forward is uh, let's have more Zemo mask because that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Okay. So Sharon can't go back with them to the States. She instead goes on her own way, which tends to, uh, which leads her to the back of a car. She informs her some kind of assistant of some kind that they have a problem. So I guess this is one of the big questions from this episode is like, what are we missing here? Because I feel like, we de- we don't know the full story here with Sharon Carter. Something is going on. Yeah, uh, Sharon has a secret. I wonder what. Say it musically ten times over, and then you'll, you'll go on from there. Uh, I'm not going to sing. 
on this oh, podcast. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Carly and the Flag Smashers for a bit. Uh, let's go to their story. So Carly goes to the GRC resettlement camp in Latvia. Lat- Latvia. Latvia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's there praying on the deathbed of a woman. Who who is that? Uh, you know, during a previous scene, Doctor Nagel said that he received a call from her a couple days ago asking if he could help someone named Donya Madini who had uh, tuberculosis, which apparently is very easy to get in these camps with the hygiene quality. Um, and then later we have this very human scene with Carly talking to one of her bodyguards about what led her to become the leader of this movement and get the serum and, uh, you know, of course, the life that was pro- promised to her and disappeared when the dust had returned. And uh, she talks about how she wanted to become a teacher, which is uh, like that woman. Uh, they they confirm they took the serum, which we pretty much assumed, judging by the action scene and you know the second episode. And the goal is to get the opportunities they were taking from them. There, there's a lot here. I, I guess my question to you guys is. Uh, I mean, obviously, these are these are are they terrorists? They're terrorists, radicals. They're uh, is it possible that at the end of the story they could be good guys? I mean, their their hearts are initially in the right place. I mean, they're doing all of this to help people and to try to better the world. But it doesn't change the fact that this their storyline that's what ends with them blowing up a building full of people. I mean, it, the the line between you know, freedom fighter and terrorist is a very thin line, and all it takes is perspective to define who was which. And I, I hope the show going forward is ready to explore that gray line because it's one that has defined so many conflicts across human history, and it's one that can easily become an us versus them black and white storyline if you don't tread carefully. And I would hope that this show knows that and is aware that they are you know walking into very troubled waters a a lot of recent media has come under scrutiny for storylines that either intentionally or accidentally mirror you know the troubles in ireland or you know uh, palestine and israel and a lot of those media have come to criticism because they choose a side either accidentally or not and don't know how, how to explore the nuances of it so i hope that uh falcon winter soldier is aware of the bottle of worms is opening by presenting extremely well-intentioned uh terrorists so. yeah uh it's also weird because they have that scene and then later in the same episode she ends up killing these security guards at the outpost uh which is presented like it's a big deal but i'm not quite sure i understand the implications it's a, that she's killing people that are not worthy of like they're not against the cause co- like they're not the evil people is that what it is like she's she's gone over the edge what, what what is what is that scene supposed to be saying? That's kind of the vibe that I got. That she's she's becoming a little bit too aggressive uh, in her you know in her mission, what she's trying to accomplish. Because it seemed like her uh, you know her partner there um, was kind of taken aback that she was so nonchalantly killed so many people when not all of them are necessarily uh, overtly against their cause or trying to, you know, keep them from getting what they want. And so it seemed, it seemed a little bit unnecessarily ruthless. Yeah. So Zemo killed the doctor. The last of the serum were in the hands of, uh, the flag smashers, the power brokers after them, 
but it seems like the flag smashers have used all the serum because if they didn't then why wouldn't she have helped her who who was that lady is that her old teacher i'm a little confused on the relationship there is that something we're going to learn more of or do we even are we even supposed to care I would imagine yeah. that there'll probably be an explanation to some point that will like give us the idea of what sparked her leading this rebellion and that kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it's somebody like her adopted mother or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that we'll probably get a, a, some exposition as to more a little bit more about her background as to why she's doing what she's doing and what significance that character has to her. And I, I think that they still have some of that serum left because uh, they, there was specifically that conversation between Carly and... Um, her other, you know, uh, teammate, I guess you could say, where they said she says that the, now the power broker is going to come crawling to get the serum from them. Good point. Good point. Okay. Uh, Walker and Lamar are investigating the breakout of Zemo, and they, they suspect the involvement of Sam and Bucky. Oh no! Uh, Sam now believes he made a mistake and shouldn't have this, put the shield in the museum but instead should have destroyed it. Bucky says that he will take the shield from him because he believes in its power as a symbol and he wants to carry it on. Um, I don't think the show is necessarily going in this direction, but I wanted to ask you guys, are, are we setting up a possible like conflict between these two in like who, once they get, to, once we get to the end of this and, you know, Captain America, uh, the U S agent or, uh, Walker, whatever you want to call him, ends up not being Captain America and they get the shield back. Is there going to be a fight for who deserves to carry the shield? If Sam Wilson and John Walker don't have a knockdown drag out fight, why are we even here, Peter? Well, I think, no, I think, not, I, no, I think Peter's no, talking saying, more about Bucky and Sam coming to yeah, blow. Oh, and Sam, I'm, saying, like, I'm, I'm misunderstood what you were saying. No, yeah. I, I don't think so, Peter, because I, I think that if anything, Bucky's perspective just comes from a place of, well, if Sam's not going to do something about it, then I need to be the one who, you know, lives up to the mantle of Captain America and make sure that it's a symbol that still means what it's supposed to mean. But I think that will like that. The, you know, the whole idea of this is eventually we'll come around to the fact that Falcon realizes that he needs to be the one who is that symbol and, you know, yeah. car- carries on the mantle. And, and Bucky knows that he's the, the probably the right person to do it, too. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Zemo says that the Sokovia was cannibalized by the, its neighbors before the land was even cleared of its rubble, erased from the map. Uh, he asks if they even visited the memorial, which, of course, you know, they did not. Um, I do recall in the trailers, there's a scene of Zemo at like a memorial or a grave or something. Do you think that might be Sokovia Memorial? Seems rather small. Actually. He, I think that's probably the the grave for his family since we found out uh, that okay, they yeah. they died in Civil War. Good, good point. Uh, Bucky follows a trail of like these metal balls, these Wakanda breadcrumbs that leads him into an alleyway. And who does he find, Brad? Uh, he finds uh, a character from Wakanda, uh, a character named Ayo, who is um, one of the members of the uh, Dora Milaje. That's how you pronounce that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, which is the basically the warriors that are tasked with uh, protecting Black Panther and also fighting alongside whenever uh, he needs their help. And so, yeah, clearly she is looking for uh, Zemo. I and mean, this was talked about uh, earlier in the episode when Bucky and Sam were talking about breaking out Zemo from prison, that 
uh, Bucky said that, well, there's some people in Wakanda who probably aren't going to be too happy about this uh, either. And so clearly they're not pleased that Zemo is no longer in prison and they probably want him. Uh, Wait, why, why would they be unhappy about it, Fred? Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Some people don't connect the dots. So I feel like we need to lay, lay they, that. So. I mean, they did lay it out pretty clearly in this episode, yeah. specifically mentioning um, that Zemo is the one who framed Bucky for killing T'Chaka, who is uh, Black Panther T'Challa's father, the former yeah. king of Wakanda. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that that was kind of a, a surprising ending that I wasn't expecting, and uh, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know where this is gonna go." Like, I I feel like you can't really bring Wakanda into this mix in a big way, but at the same time, they're you know obviously clearly not happy about the situation. Fred, uh, where do you think this is headed? Um, I, I mean, clearly Wakanda probably wants, either they want Zemo back in prison or they want him to answer for what he did, uh, to, to Chaka and, you know, killing him and really shaking things up in, in their kingdom. Um, I, I do wonder if we'll, we'll learn that, um, Bucky has more of a relationship with a character like, um, Ao from his time oh. that, he, that, that he spent in Wakanda. So when he was White Wolf. Right, exactly. So I don't know if there's if there's um, you know maybe a little bit of history between these two characters, or if it's just something that's made to make things a little bit more complicated plot wise. Um, but I, I think this will definitely allow us to probably learn a little bit more about the time that Bucky spent in Wakanda. I just love that this is be- like it feels. I mean, the story is its own like singular story, but it does have like these bigger complications from the marvel cinematic universe to like you know the stuff with wakanda that's going on at the end of this episode you know they're mentioning stuff that doesn't feel like it's just easter egg references of sokovia and you know what happened the events of civil war and like it really feels like like this is a bigger world than just this small you know buddy (laughs) you know cop kind of story that it is uh, J- Jacob, what did you think of the ending of this episode? It's a really nice twist, nice reveal, because, uh, of course, Wakanda would not be happy about Zemo being out in the loose. He yeah. assassinated their leader, their king. So I'm, I don't know how this fits in the story. I don't know how how far it goes beyond being a quick appearance and a quick plot line. But I'm glad it's not being ignored. You know, we talked earlier about Marvel's attention to continuity and explaining things and how they're really good at it. And this is a case of them not forgetting a very major plot point from a previous film. Also, yeah. uh, it might be worth mentioning that uh, Wakanda does have in their possession a lot of a certain uh, metal that Captain America's shield is made out of, and if the yeah. government isn't willing to give Sam Captain America's shield, then he might not have a problem getting another one from somewhere else. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Um, okay. Before we get onto our speculation section, I should mention that the emails we read at the at the top, if you want to send in your own email, you can send it to peter at slash com. If, uh, you know, there, there's a chance that we don't read it on air, but we, we, we're going to try to read uh, anything that is relevant on air that uh, isn't completely invalidated by the next episode. Like, you know, a lot of people sent us some emails uh, theorizing on how the power broker, like, helped, you know, walker get his super serum and stuff like that and it was just like not relevant after stuff we saw happen in this episode and um also i want to say 
before we get into the speculation that if you enjoy these podcasts, please head on over to our Apple podcast page. It's linked in the show notes. Take five seconds out of your time to head there. Not just give us a rating, but like write us like a sentence or two of why you like this podcast and why you enjoy this podcast. That helps us so much. It helps people find this podcast and uh, we, we will be forever indebted to you if you can do that. Okay, so let's get into the speculation of this episode. So yeah, I guess we don't know how Wakanda is going to figure into this. I think the longer that we go hearing about this power broker, it, it makes me <laughs> wonder who is the power broker. Is, is Do you guys think the power broker is someone, an established MCU character, or is the power broker just going to be like some nameless, like, you know, government, I guess not government because the power broker, originally we were talking about the power broker being this government kind of organization, but now in this episode, it seems like they hired, they hired this doctor to create the serum, and he's creating the serum in this, in this shipping container. Like, do we still think they're the power broker is government connected? Yeah, at this point, the power broker is a big question mark. We, at this point, I genuinely feel the power broker has to be somebody we know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe because yeah. to introduce a new character this late would this feels like a an absolute bummer like you can't build this up and then and you know here's some actor you've never heard of in episode six he's a power broker yeah so i feel like so, so you're it, saying they're gonna pull a, it was agatha all along again oh yeah but it's, it's, whether it's somebody in the show or somebody in a larger mcu yeah uh power broker is not gonna be an unfamiliar face i i can't imagine at this point yeah no uh brad what do you think the motivations are of the power broker? Like, are they related to the government? Like, has it been disproven by their their connection to this doctor and working in Madripoor? I don't know. It doesn't seem like something a you know U.S. based government agency would be doing. I mean, not, maybe not U.S. based, but maybe just some kind of shadow organization trying yeah. to you know act as like a, a secret you know government arm and just kind of keep certain people down while keeping other people richer benefiting themselves that kind of thing you know the the, the usual stuff that supervillains try to do um i i think the um one thing that will probably be, uh, come into play out of out of this as far um whether it's from the power broker or from the flag smashers but uh i'm pretty sure at some point we'll probably see uh john walker being tempted to get the super soldier serum himself likely tempted because he realizes he can't measure up to who captain america was and he might see that as the only way that he's able to and uh it very well could drive a wedge between him um and uh and his partner because as we've seen especially in this episode he his partner seems to be a little bit more of the voice of reason whereas walker's you know a little bit more willing to take risks and you know do things that maybe are a little bit outside of uh his uh, you know what should be his moral compass and so uh i I feel like that there there might be a a conflict that rises between them and that's where walker will start to become a little bit more of a a straight-up villain yeah um i I, i'm not sure if i have any further speculation i did want to bring up something that comes from like these marvel subreddits where there's leakers and there's stuff like that but this isn't anything that's any knowledge that we like it's it's actually a big question mark but someone has posted this thing that's kind of getting picked up by a lot of sites so if you want to tune out now 
you know, tune out now if it, like, it's, I, I don't feel like this is any spoiler, but this is going to add to like uh, 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 questions. And if, um, if we have any theories here as to, you know, who someone could be, uh, that's the most I can go without <laughs> saying what I'm going to say, uh, before saying it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm totally cool if you want to turn turn off this podcast right now uh okay so someone posted on one of these marvel subreddits a picture of a filming location for uh, for falcon and winter soldier it was like this courthouse and the person that posted this filming location said that they filmed the scene in this courthouse i forget where it was like atlanta or somewhere and they were like i can't say who was there but there's a big mcu character that was in the scene and it's going to shock everybody when when they see them in the scene now first of all number one this could be complete bullshit right <laughs> like we don't know this to be true this, this this could be complete nonsense no uh number two um uh i think it was a courthouse slash museum was the location number two it, it, it could have been uh roadie Right? Like, did we know Rhodey was going to be in this show? Was he announced? I'm not sure. And because they had those museum shots with him. So, number two, it could have been him. But I don't think that's that shocking. So, okay. The, those things said, we're going to, you know, speculate on something that probably might not even turn out to be anything. But I wanted to hear, what are your guesses on to who... Who could be the... Like, if it is something mind-blowing, a mind-blowing MCU appearance like who do you think it could be brad gosh uh (laughs) i uh old man steve rogers yeah that was gonna be my pick that's i I think i guess the best thing is is just just to have you know a a nice quiet heart-to-heart scene you know maybe between him and sam and bucky um just to kind of echo the the end of endgame but um yeah, I don't know. That's I think that's probably yeah. the the one that makes the most sense. I feel like we, we kind of expect that, even though we don't know Chris would be up for it. But it, it does seem like they're setting that up. Like they even in the first episode, they were asking questions to where Steve's whereabouts are. So I feel like we're gonna see him at some point in the show. Uh, Jacob, do you have any theories? That was my theory too. I yeah. I, I try to think of a character who whose appearance in this show would actually serve the story. And he's the one who makes the most sense. It would also fit the mind, the blowing explanation. Yeah. 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 Uh, I also want to warn people that if you're searching for spoilers, it's a bunch of toy spoilers out there. So, uh, you know, stay away if you don't want to see that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, um, the spoilers are always in the toys, right, Brad? There, there <laughs> are endless spoilers in toys. It is ridiculous. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you guys have any further speculation for the future of the series? No, I mean this is not <laughs> unlike WandaVision. I, this show strongly does not invite it. It's this meat and potatoes, straightforward yeah. action movie stuff as you can get, which is why it scratched that itch, and also why it's honestly not as much fun to speculate about because it 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 it's, it says it says what it is on the tin. You open the tin. Yep, that's what it is. I do yeah. wonder if this if this show is will have a an ending that feels like a real conclusion or if they'll do a cliffhanger because uh the ex- executive producers and showrunners have talked about how that they hope that there's a second season 
I don't know if that's just them playing coy and not, you know, giving into the idea that they're going to, they're planning on continuing this, the story of these characters like this outside of the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, but yeah, I, I am curious as to whether they leave it, give it more of an open ending to lead into a second season, or if it has like a firm, you know, conclusion. Hmm. I feel like it's going to have a, a kind of firm conclusion, but it's going to allow them to do a second season with further adventures of, you know, Captain America and the white wolf or whatever you're, whatever it's going to be titled. Um, but yeah, actually maybe, maybe they could set some, but what happens if you set something up and then they decide not to do a second season? I guess you could always, I, well, I, th- I think that the only way that it would be set up is if yeah. they already know they're doing a second season. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's yeah. not like network television where they're doing it. And then the network's like, Nope, we don't want the show anymore. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Okay, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. As I said, please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Please head on over to our Apple page, leave us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you on Monday.